there's room at the table for everyone to eat in a metaphorical and energetic way. Your resources and your experience in life may have taught you otherwise, that there are shortages. There are physical and resource shortages. And that teaches us to respond in a certain way, with urgency, with um, sincerity. We start to get ourselves into a whole rat race of achievement and success. We crave affirmation. We, We dwell on insecurities. And all of a sudden, the meal in front of us is never good enough. Welcome to 420 and 3Xs. It's the Smoke Show Podcast. I'm your host, Smokey, bringing you the realest conversations that we source live from you, our fans and listeners. This Smoke Show is a collaboration of hard work, our tough conversations, and global support. I direct the boat while you, the listeners, lift our sails and choose our final destination. We like to get real. We like to be vulnerable. We like to talk about real situations and relatable problems, interesting topics, and things that aren't often on the table for general conversation. I hope that you'll join us either live on our YouTube stream or later on on your favorite podcast platform when you have the chance. Get all our information at our website, smokylive.com. But while you're here, why don't you roll one up, kick up your feet, take a deep breath, We've created a safe space where you can come, relax, get cozy, and really be yourself. Find a space where you can open your mind, share your heart, and get ready to dive deep. It's my hope that these conversations we share will help each of us to create a better relationship and connection with ourselves and with each other. So let's get ready for the topic of the week. Let's go! Welcome back. It's Smokey. On stream, it's the Smoke Show. It's a Thursday night, 9 p.m., so you know where we're at. We're hanging out live on stream, and we are talking tonight. We're going to have an open format discussion, so we're on Tumblr. Pretty excited about this. We're going to be talking about the concept of room at the table. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's room at the table for everyone to eat, or there's not enough room at the table, or the table is crowded. I don't know what this, you know, like, table is, but... (laughs) Tonight we're going to be talking about that concept. Is there truly room at the table for everyone to eat? Or is that just, you know, a fantasy? We usually break down these topics in the week before, like leading up to the Thursday podcast recording. Tonight we have decided to do kind of like a recorded session of our brainstorming. It's kind of cool. It's like a behind-the-scenes peek of how we operate, where we get our information from. It gives you a little bit of an idea if you are tuning in afterwards about the you know mental process here and how we work together as a team. If you want to be a part of this, it's an open invitation. Come as you are. Uh, we really are just here to chat about things. We make some really good friends. We have some <laughs> pretty funny memories and <laughs> memorable conversations. It's really just a good time. So hang out. It takes about an hour on Thursdays. 9 p.m. Eastern. Tonight we'll be talking about, is there room at the table for everyone to eat? Okay, so, is there room at the table for everyone to eat? Has anyone ever heard of this concept before? 
Has anyone heard of this phrase on stream? I know it was like a thing. I feel like like in 2020, a lot of people were saying it. I heard it a lot. Um, it's basically like the concept of this like metaphorical table, meaning like a slice of the pie, meaning like whatever, right? Like the existence of our existence. And there's enough resources for everyone to get by, essentially is the idea. Is this factual? Now, obviously, it's a metaphorical table. So this is metaphorical food. These are metaphorical resources. But the concept is you don't really have to compete. Like, there's enough for everybody. Jashi says, in Catholic school growing up, he heard of this before. Okay, I don't know how old this is. I'm not really sure, but that would make sense. It could be an older thing. I'd say, yes, it's a reality, but we're nowhere near it. Okay, that's totally fair. Who is she has that idea? Um, it's possible. You know, it's an idea, but we're not there. <laughs> I can agree with that. Uh, the concept is making space for people to enjoy what's at the table. Okay, so that's an interesting way to look at it, Joe. So it's not about the table that exists. It's about how we're sitting at it. I kind of like that. That's interesting. What is this table really representing, though? Like, when I say that, what do you think of? Like, what is this? Is it resources? Is it time? Is it money? Is it love? Is it all of the above? Like, what is it that is that? What what are we eating? <laughs> What's on the menu? Let's see. Um, Joe says, referring to this idea that people are welcome. Okay, that makes sense. Josh says, I think it's possible. I once heard a statistic stating we produce enough food for 10 billion people. If that's true, our greed kicks people off the table. Okay, so we're talking about physical food in that, in that regard, like actual food. So there's, you know, obviously like countries that are able agriculturally or, you know, just through, I don't know, production, shipping, all of the resources, right, that can kind of like hog the food. And it's because it's like a money thing. So then the, the poor regions, the ones that can't really do that, that might not have the same resources, can't access it as easily. So it can be like kind of like a controlled type of thing. That's kind of crazy. But greed, yeah. So greed keeps people away from the table. Um, I think of the ability to lead your own happy life and letting others live their life in their own way without judgment. Okay, so that's what it means to sit at the table. Like, just let people do their thing. Let them eat their meal. <laughs> whatever that is, whatever they're eating, is none of my business. If they're happy about it, I'm happy. I like that perspective. I think that applies. That makes sense. Um, it's like heaven on earth. Okay, I love that. That's really cool. Okay, so we have the, we have the table. The table is, we got it. We have a picture of what this is. <laughs> okay, so... I would say the opposite would then be, well, we have one more. Let's see. Poetry and Painting says, of course, a cow takes up the acres of five harvests, literally. Everyone has a journey and it's unique to them. Love that. Great perspective. It's very true. Just because, you know, it's working for me doesn't mean it has to work for you. So my opinions of why I'm keeping you from the table really don't apply. You know, that doesn't even make sense. That may, I like that. Tumble says, I think of it as a restaurant. So there's multiple tables and it's up to who reserved the table to make the rules to join. Okay, so you have multiple tables. That makes sense. So everybody can do their own thing at their own dang table. <laughs> now that's thinking with your melon. <laughs> we all just do our own thing. Okay, that makes sense. In Catholic service, there is a hymn that went, sit at the table of plenty. It's an old thing. Okay, I love that. So 
we definitely have a good picture painted of what our table looks like, what's happening there and how we're regarding our table, right? Okay. <laughs> what we have, if it is the reverse of a bountiful table, is we have the principle of scarcity. Now, I brought this word up a couple times this week and everyone was like, what the heck is scarcity? We looked it up. We did talk about it a little bit. Um, basically, what we came up with is scarcity is the idea that limited resources lead to competition and even a sense of urgency. So when there's scarcity, it's like, oh, there's not enough and now I need to act quickly. Right? Like that's pretty much the idea of scarcity. It's not just that there's not enough. There's like this feeling behind it. Right? It's definitely related to like a supply and demand thing in some regards um, where the, a limited supply of a service or a product and an increase in demand is causing more pressure. It could be economically. It could be financially. Any regard. Any regard. It's just like, who is she says, like when people were hoarding toilet paper for COVID. So weird. Like, I still can't wrap my mind around that toilet paper thing. It's years later, and I'm still really not sure what, what the heck happened there. But that is a perfect example of scarcity. Everybody freaked the F out and decided to just buy all the toilet. Like, what were we planning on? I have no idea. There was no toilet paper for what reason? It's toilet paper. Then the cost of it went through the roof, making toilet paper inaccessible to lots of people. And let me tell you, everybody needs toilet paper. So this is a, a great example of people saying, no, uh-oh, there's not enough of this at the table. So I'm going to rush in and try to get as much of it as possible. And I have no regard to what you need because right now it's every man for themselves. Right now there is not enough of this at the table. So I'm going to take it. Wh what? <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. That was a really ironic thing that happened during COVID that I don't think anybody could predict. And I don't know if it'll ever repeat again. What a strange situation, but a perfect example, like I said. There are all different types of scarcity. You guys want to brainstorm some? Because I looked them up. I definitely did some research on this because there are tons of types of scarcity. You want to hit me with some? There's some water scarcity. Okay, yes, that is a really big resource. There can be a scarcity of that. Um, any type of like natural resource, I would say. Money, financial scarcity. Yep, that's a big one. The recent Adderall shortage. Okay, so medication. Pharmaceutical scarcity. Now that's scary. Like with the EpiPens and then there was no coverage and then prices were going through the roof and they became inaccessible and they were scarce. It was like a bajillion dollars for one EpiPen. Have they fixed that? I don't even know. That's crazy. Social security. Scarcity in your actual, yeah. Okay, at end of life, when you should be retiring, when you're finishing or doing whatever. Now... There's nothing to help support me, even though I've been putting in this system for my whole life. That can be a problem, absolutely. Family scarcity in a single parent home. Okay, I love that. <clears throat> so it could be like a parental scarcity, kind of. You know, there's not enough, not enough hands on deck. I know what that feels like, so yes, <laughs> we're going with that. Some of the ones that I looked up were that I liked were time scarcity. Not having enough time to do everything that one wants or needs to do. Time. 
there's never enough time. Like, literally, there's never enough time. Never enough time to sleep, never enough time to eat, never enough time to complete the day, to be with the people I love, to do the fun things. Like, time is, that is, like, number one scarcity. Um, resources, like, not having enough natural resources, like we just said. Water, clean air. Like, that's a problem. Um, financial scarcity with the money, like we just said. A skill scarcity. This is interesting. So not having the necessary skills to perform a task or a job. So a skill scarcity could really cause a huge problem. If there's like, let's say, I don't know, people who make watches, right? Like watchmakers. That's like not a, like a, a big thing. But back in the day, there was lots of people who did timepieces. It's more scarce now. So it becomes more um, valuable. So there's a scarcity there. It could also cause a problem. Let's say if it's something like, I don't know, um, the ability to feed yourself, like to cook and prepare foods, which is something that's like declining rapidly today. People don't know how to prepare their own meals. They don't know how to properly feed themselves without pre-prepared things. So if everyone stops knowing and loses the skill of cooking and feeding themselves, that would be a huge problem. Because then who's going to make the pre-prepared meals? There's not enough skills. Deplorable thoughts. It's such a good, a good point. Until people nowadays realize you don't need to go to college to make six figures. That is so valid. Um, the internet has changed the entire scope of reality. Just in our lifetimes, we've seen, we've experienced life without the internet to what's happening now. And life is on the internet. So it's very, very different. And there are opportunities left and right. So college is now no longer necessary. And I think the next generation is really kind of taking a good look at that. For some jobs, absolutely. It's going to, it's important to learn. I don't want to go to a doctor who hasn't gone to some kind of schooling, right? But for other things, what the heck? You know, figure it out. Make YouTube videos. Um, come up with crazy little products that you can sell to celebrities. I don't know. Repack and resell things. Like, I, people are doing the most insane. And I, I heard of this lady who's making literally six figures. And she opened, she used to be an exotic dancer, an adult entertainer, and she's beautiful. She decided to continue her job but make more money by privately cleaning people's houses topless. She charges by the hour. She does surface cleaning, and she comes with a bodyguard and an alarm on her wrist for any type of panic. People are under contract, and they pay her. She'll make twelve grand in a day doing three or four houses. Like, there are so many ways that you can get rich. You don't need to go to school. So I think that is totally true. The scarcity issue is something we have created, but now it's going to bite everybody right in the buns. Deplorable Thoughts says, The creator of college didn't go to college, and it was a standard the previous generation lived by. I agree with that. Yeah, it's outdated. It's something that's outdated. So our skill scarcity is really our own problem. Absolutely. Um, there's social scarcity. I really like this one. This one is cool. It says social scarcity can lead to social unrest, conflict, and inequality. It can lead to competition for limited resources. It can also lead to social isolation and exclusion because people are unable to participate in activities that require the resources they do not have. Case in point, it's privilege. Basically, the idea is 
when there is a social scarcity, it means there isn't enough access to any resources and the necessary things become inaccessible to certain groups of people, social groups. And because of that, it can become incredibly isolating, toxic. It's just going to cause an entire problem in the whole ecosystem because of social scarcity. That is something that I think a lot of urban areas, rural areas, were dealing with more in, I think, you know, the 90s, early 2000s, before people were really paying attention that this is a real issue. I think only recently have people decided to even look at this. The system (laughs) and the way that it's set up, it's so outdated, but it's what's causing a huge divide in all sorts of people groups whether it's political, racial, habit, whatever, religious. But there's social scarcity, and there is definitely a lack of resources that's causing it. It costs too much for what you get paid. Absolutely, Joe, that's the problem. Any type of insurance, any type of support at all, it costs too much. We're, you're put in this position. It's almost like this divide is very intentional, and I think we're starting to really understand that now as a collective, or at least some people are. How do you think scarcity affected you during your upbringing? I'm interested to know, did you ever feel that feeling of scarcity as a child or in your household as you were being raised? Did it impact you? Because for me, scarcity was like one of the number one feelings in my home for everything. And I didn't really realize that until now being an adult and having to deprogram myself. Not enough food. Okay, Joe, I was in that boat too. Um, Joe was tiny to feed siblings before feeding herself. Okay, we weren't that bad, but there was enough where it was like sometimes the cupboards were pretty bare, you know, and I knew my mom was pretty stressed. The church would drop off, you know, baskets of food or whatever, and I knew it was pretty rough. I think it depends on what situation the state is in. There's definitely enough food. They just dump it all. It's so true. They do trash it. Deplorable. So I worked for a grocery store in a bakery department, and I did um, cake decorating for a few years. It was a lot of fun. But the amount of food that they would throw away on a daily basis was insane. Carts full of food. And you aren't allowed to give that food away to any of the employees or to anybody at all because if you do, it's cutting into their potential profits because you would buy that in the store if you weren't taking it from the expiration bin. So you can get fired for taking food that's expired, even though it's not bad. It's really not bad. Like nothing was way expired. There was nothing moldy. There was nothing. This is totally fine stuff. You can get fired for that. So they just dump all of this when there are families that I know in the area who truly needed mo- like needed money or food or resources, and we're just tossing milk, vegetables, fruits, fresh flowers, cakes. I mean, you name it. It was heartbreaking. Sandwich meat, cheese. Oh, my God. The health department stops it. Yes, with the expirations, but it's also because of taking a profit. Like, it, it's definitely the same thing. It's the same as the military. Yeah, yep. It can be potentially about getting sick, for sure, but it's at your own risk at that point. It's really more about them 
and the money side of things. Because if you take something, it's not them giving it to you. It's just, it really isn't technicalities. And it's just sad, you know. The formula shortage was a load of bull too, deplorable says. How do you think that these kids are feeling? Like, how did you feel when you didn't have enough? For me, we didn't have enough money. So it wasn't always food. You know, we didn't have enough money for bills and for like things that we needed. So there was always a scarcity. And we had stuff, we kept it. Everything we kept. And we took very, very good care of everything forever because there might not be enough. A scarcity issue that's very embarrassing as a small child. That scarcity feels very isolating and embarrassing. It's a humiliating feeling and you don't even know why, but it feels shameful. It made the child feel so bad and sometimes they didn't even eat it. Yeah, not fair. That's not okay. That's a scarcity issue. How do you think scarcity impacts you as an adult? Like for me, like I said, I'm deprogramming from it. <laughs> and I know that. I grew up not knowing if we were going to eat or not during the night. Damn. That's tough stuff. What, how has that impacted you as an adult now? Are you the type of people that have to clear your plate? No food in the trash type people? Do you, are you more mindful of it in a certain way? Do you shop differently? You like to hoard everything. Okay, so you don't want to let things go. That's a really common response. Mm -hmm. Do you hoard for sentimental value or because it might be useful? Or is it a combination? I feel like sometimes it's like one or the other. I, there's many reasons, but... You didn't know if you would ever get it again. Okay, so you wanted to hang on to it and it meant something to you. That makes sense. You eat leftovers a lot. Okay, yeah, I'm a leftover girl too. Sometimes leftovers even taste better. And I feel like in my brain, it's just that like, they, they don't taste better than, than the hot meal. Like, I know that. But in my brain, it was so much of what I was raised on. You know, you always take your food home. If you're at a restaurant, if you get, we never got to eat at restaurants. So even as an adult, if I get, to, if I go to a restaurant, I'm bringing it home. Like, I'm not just going to leave it on the table. I'm just going to leave it half eaten. <laughs> There's a difference. You can tell the kids who had it, who grew up in scarcity. <clears throat> I feel too temporary in this world, so I like to hold on to things that feel permanent. Oh, that's pretty deep. Okay, we went there. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. And some people do find more, like, meaning or, like, value in physical things like that. Yeah. So scarcity can cause stress, anxiety, and depression. As people worry about meeting their basic needs, can also lead to feelings of shame, embarrassment, we just talked about. And people can compare themselves to others as we see, like, that one has more resources than I do. So now we start looking at the people in the table next to us, sitting around the table. We're here, because now we know what scarcity feels like. I looked up the definition of comparison. We love definitions when we brainstorm. It helps to give us a good uh, starting point, like a, a common ground, I guess. We'll collectively throw ideas out of what these words are, and we'll come up with definitions. We'll look them up, too, and go off of that. So I did look it up, and then we can throw words around and see if we get more specific. Um, but for comparison, the definition I got was a consideration or estimate of the similarities or differences between two things or people. 
it's basically looking at two things and seeing if they're alike or different <laughs> in a nutshell is kind of what, what I, what I got from that, right? Just looking at what's different, what's the same and comparing. That's all it is. It's very, it's a very basic principle. It's something that we learn, you know, in kindergarten, preschool, nursery school. We learn how to compare shapes, colors. We differentiate. It's actually something that we need to do to survive, we need to compare things. If we didn't compare things, we wouldn't be able to tell what was poisonous and what was good for us. We wouldn't be able to tell which child was who. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be able to tell anything. Comparison is really important. But it can get a little crazy when we start looking around the table. Why do you think people compare themselves to other people? I mean, everybody does it. We do it even at a young age. Whether we're like learning if we don't compare, if we didn't compare things, we'd have less insecurities. Do you think so? Do you think it would be less, we'd be less insecure if we didn't look at the differences? I, I don't think it's really the differences that make us insecure. I think it's the feelings behind different ideas. Like, you know, somebody who's a little bit heavier isn't going to feel ashamed of their weight if no one has ever had a problem with heavy weight. So it's almost like, it's not in the comparison, it's almost like the stigma, kind of. Joe says, jealousy and insecurities and doubt can bring us to compare. Okay. Mikey says, I compare the prices on different types of meat, price-wise. Yeah, this helps us. It's a skill. Comparison lies in the ego. Ego not meaning your attitude or like how you feel about yourself, but ego meaning in the way you process and plan things. It's the way you think about things. It's your planning ability, your planability. We need to compare to decide and make better decisions for ourselves. The world is trying to maintain an average of what a human being is in society. Yeah, and so then we compare more to that than really each other. This this person looks like they're they're, you know, really successful. They're meeting they're meeting that quota that society is setting for them. Therefore, I feel fill in the blank. Right? Your ego can protect you or it can hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. Just like any relationship in that regard, for sure. I think people compare themselves to kind of get a, like a sense of how they're doing in the world. You know, they, they're trying to kind of maybe evaluate their own progress on certain projects, certain situations, maybe their life in general. Um, see how they measure up. Maybe against other people. You know, this is somebody that I really admire. So I'm going to compare myself to them and see how close I am to being as cool as they are. Um, I think it's also we can compare to kind of motivate ourselves too. I think that could be like a healthy thing, you know. Well, that's my my twin sister and her abs are flatter than flat and she had the same amount of kids as me but that's because she's working hard. Well, maybe I'm going to have to go work hard too and then I'm motivated. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it could be. It could be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be making my bed every morning because my partner says I always leave it a mess. So now I'm motivated. I will. I will be making my bed. You can use comparison as motivation, I think. As long as you have a positive air about it. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. It has to have the spin a little bit. 
So I feel like I feel like comparison is just like the act of looking at things to find their similarities. I feel like it can progress into competition. Now, where are my competitors at? <laughs> I'm looking at you, Josh. <laughs> competition, competitive energy. It's a natural thing. It's primal. You know, there's nothing even wrong with competition. Survival of the fittest, right? Competing for survival, literally, for species survival. Competition can be fun. I don't think it's always a bad thing. When I looked it up, the definition was an activity or condition of striving against one another to gain or win something. So now while we're sitting at the table, we're looking around and compare, comparing our plates to the guy next to us, to the person across, to this. We're comparing what we have. All right, we're already at that point. Now we're going to compete a little bit. Hmm, I wonder if I can get one more onto my plate. wonder if I can have one more drink. I wonder if I can do as well as they are. I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I can. We start competing, which can always be fun. Start fun. People compete, I feel like, for a lot of the same reasons that they compare, but it's like the next level, you know? I feel like they can challenge themselves. They can strengthen their skills, maybe. They can measure success or personal growth. Totally. When you achieve a standard you set yourself, you start to get into a role. Yep, it can get you going. Starts the energy. It's really fun. When does competition become dangerous, though? When does it push too far? <laughs> what do you think? When you're trying to be a part of the group, but you use other energy for your good. So you become manipulative, essentially. Okay? Start manipulating. That could be a problem. When there's emotions behind it. Okay. When you get too much in your feels and it's not really just a game anymore. When you have tunnel vision, you're getting too focused. When it's harmful to you or them. Oh, these are all really, really, really good, good, good points. Basically, when it gets too aggressive. People start taking unnecessary risks. Doing stuff that's not really required because they're feeling some type of way. They're taking it a little too far. Yeah, deplorable thoughts. Absolutely. Just taking it a little too far. You know, they become focused, like you said, tunnel vision, like so focused on winning that they forget about everything else. They forget about playing fair. They forget about sportsmanship. They forget about why they're playing in the first place, how much it's costing them to be in this competition. So comp competition in general, can it can get dicey really quickly. So we're sitting at the table, we're looking around, we're comparing, and now we're competing and it depends on your character whether you start seeing red, right? Or if you start turning green. I feel like that's more likely what happens when you start sitting at the table. I think people start getting green with envy. Jealousy. For everyone to eat at this table, it sounds mighty dun-dun-dun socialist. And in America, that's a taboo word. Okay, so for everyone to eat here and have it be fair, this is just, it's not going to work. It's socialist. It's not fair. It doesn't work out that way. That's not, it's not realistic. That's not how it works. Okay, fair perspective. Jealousy is the act of feeling or showing envy of someone 
or their achievements or their advantages. So they got more dessert than I did. Their slice of the pie is bigger than me. That's not fair. Well, too bad. We're not socialists here. This is a democracy. <laughs> but I really want some pie. This is like a natural thing. People really live this way. We've all done it. Comparison can sometimes lead to jealousy very quickly, especially if people feel like they're not measuring up or if they feel like other people are doing better than them. If that's not how it works, then why are there different classes? High class, luxury, middle class, average, low class, poor. Yeah, I mean, there is a class system. There's a caste system. There's all sorts of things. There's definitely, an, and that's something that we put into play, obviously. So I'm at the luxury table. I'm eating five star. You're going to be sitting over there at IHOP. And that's your table. Eh? But at least you're eating kind of idea. Yeah, we do have that attitude, right? We have that attitude. Instead of comparing, we're making sure people know their place. I'm not going to be jealous of me. I'm going to put you in your place. <laughs> Only if we were all humble. Yeah, nobody is. There's too much power in there. We're living the rat race. It's the rat race here, literally. The rat race is the competitive and stressful nature. Look this up of people who are constantly striving to achieve success. This is pretty much everyone. The competitive and stressful nature of people who are constantly striving to achieve success. Jealousy can arise when people feel like they're falling behind or not succeeding as much as others. So, it's literally a driving force. It can be a vicious cycle. You're becoming jealous of someone else's success so I become more competitive and driven to succeed, which then leads to more success and more stress and pressure. So I continue to do it again. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses. It's like never chilling out. It's also a good movie. Yes, Josh. <laughs> Rat Race is a good movie. <laughs> when does one give up that driving force? I don't know if it's required to have to give up. I think it's something in moderation. It's something to really see what is the root of this. Is it scarcity? Is it Fear? Is it competition? Is it jealousy? Why am I doing this? Why am I stressing myself out to achieve whatever it is that I'm feeling is successful? The rat race kind of gets you in a position where you can achieve the goal, but you forget to be happy once you get there. And you have in this in your mind that there is this illusion of happiness at the end of this journey, but every time you hit that next benchmark, you don't feel anything but more hungry. So it's a vicious cycle. The rat race ain't no fun, but a lot of us participate in it. If you stay humble like the tortoise and the hare situation, you will win in the end. Is it important to me, the rat race? I don't think it is. And I live a very eccentric life comparatively to a lot of other people. I'm definitely not a social norm. I'm not racing. Everything for me is, it really is for what I like. If it's my comfort, my thing, if I'm happy doing it. Because if I'm happy and I'm comfortable, then my kids are. And they're the next generation. So for me, it's not so much about the rat race. But there are aspects of it that, of course, I get caught up in. For me, it's fashion. So stupid. <laughs> I really like fashion. Um, I always have. So sometimes I just want to get some new stuff and it's so unnecessary. 
<laughs> but we all have aspects of it. Is it important to me? No. But am I a participant? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's important to admit as, as well. Bring it back though to what Joe had mentioned in here about codependence, because this is a big one when we're sitting at the table. Not just trying to always have the best, have the most, not fighting with just the jealousy, not with all that. There's a lot of insecurities when we start comparing ourselves to each other. In that sense, when you are impacted and you are feeling incredibly insecure or insufficient, it is a natural response from childhood to lean on someone else. We are taught as children, we, it is necessary as a child to lean on other people. In codependent relationships, when we feel super insufficient or super insecure or like we are not capable, we can become codependent as adults. Codependence is a relationship dynamic where one person becomes overly reliant on another person for emotional or psychological support. This is something that is prominent in my family, codependence. It's something that I feel pretty fluent in because I've witnessed it so many times. Uh, codependence is pretty rampant. It happens in a lot of different situations. Um, I would say there's different ways or aspects about codependence that can stick out. And this is when you're sitting at the table and you're seeing that somebody else is more than you and you've lost the competition and you're sitting at the IHOP table and you're not at Michelin stars and you're like all upset and there's a homie next to you who's like, you know what? We'll go through this together. And all of a sudden you form this bond, whether it's a trauma bond or a real bond, and you start to decide that we're going to do this together. And while I'm so upset and sad right now, you're going to hold my hand and tell me it's better. And all of a sudden that becomes my drug. That I don't need to process my feelings. I just need to have big feelings. And when I have them, you'll figure it out for me. And a codependent bond is formed <laughs> a codependent person will do anything to hold on to a relationship, to avoid the feeling of abandonment. That's it. I don't want to feel abandoned because it's happened. I don't want to feel abandoned. They have a tendency to always, this is a characteristic that is um, very telling about codependence that people don't notice, I don't think, but they do have a tendency to always go above and beyond in every situation, help people in every way. They want to outperform in every way. Um, and they really also want to be recognized for their performance. So if they do perform, if they do, if they are so helpful and you're not thankful, if you haven't paid attention, if you haven't acknowledged their good deed or their personal achievement, that is super detrimental to them. It is so hurtful. They feel so insignificant, so insecure. Yeah. People in codependent relationships um, who, or who experience codependence, they have an extreme need for your approval and recognition. Now, I don't know if you're noticing... Um, any of these qualities, but they're very similar to a child. A child will do anything to hold on to their parent or their protector, their adult figure, right? Anything. They do not want to feel abandoned. They want to make you happy. Small children want to get your praise. They want to be recognized when they perform, when they do something really well, they want your recognition. And you don't see it, it's going to break their little heart. 
You're noticing a correlation here? In codependence, um, it can be very, very unhealthy and dysfunctional because it prevents both people in the, the relationship from moving forward individually as humans. So they really get stuck together in this because they become un, unable to process individually. So really it's just a rewiring of the brain. It's a very immature way of processing emotions, immature in the sense of literally childlike. So at some point, there's some type of regression that has not progressed past a small child, okay? These insufficiencies and insecurities can be draining to these codependent people and also to the people around them. Um, they constantly are seeking external affirmations and validations, constantly. They need that, especially if they don't have a codependent partner and have codependence tennis, codependent tendencies. They need that affirmation from everyone around them, constantly, constantly. It's like a vacuum. A person can be emotionally needy if they have a strong desire for attention, affection, and validation from others. So the codependence can actually become even more of a factor if that extends outside of the relationship. If this has been a situation or a way of thinking or living for so long and processing that it can start to seep out into the environment and they become to build this ecosystem and become really comfortable in acting very, very young or immature in their emotional processes everywhere. That makes them emotionally needy. So they think that this not only can come from that person, but now it can come from other people. People that care about me will now provide this for me. And they become needy. Um, needing that attention and affirmation all the time. They may feel insecure or have low self-esteem and seek reassurance and support from others to feel better about themselves. Just like a child. This can put a strain on relationships and make it difficult for the person to be independent and self-sufficient. And that's true. So there are many things about the table when we're sitting here as we're having dinner. All of a sudden, all these ugly issues come out, even though there's a plate in front of everybody. Whether it's at IHOP or Michelin stars, we're sitting there and we all have a plate in front of us. There's room at the table for everyone to eat in a metaphorical and energetic way. Your resources and your experience in life may have taught you otherwise, that there are shortages. There are physical and resource shortages. And that teaches us to respond in a certain way, with urgency, with um, sincerity. We start to get ourselves into a whole rat race of achievement and success. We crave affirmation. We, we dwell on insecurities. And all of a sudden, the meal in front of us is never good enough. Nothing. Becoming this vacuum where we need all of this affirmation from the people around us because we don't feel it from ourselves. There's room at the table for everyone to eat. If the people that are sitting pay attention to the plate in front of them, that's it. You don't need more. You don't need to prevent from a shortage. You don't need to hoard all of the good things. If everyone has a plate, then everyone can have a seat. That means, let's say I decide to start a podcast, one in a million, and all of a sudden, build up a small following, 
people who decide to come and support and show. Does that take any support and love away from other podcasters? There are billions of people in this world, and there are so many podcasts. My presence alone couldn't take the food from your plate if I wanted to. There's room at the table. Does this make sense? Just because one person gets a compliment or is doing well does not mean that someone else is not doing well. Just because someone is succeeding somewhere and deserves a compliment or kindness or a gift or care, it does not mean that you deserve it any less or you won't get the same thing when you need it. My sheer existence does not impact your visibility. You're not more invisible because I exist, essentially. I'm not more invisible because you exist. There's room at the table. Now, whatever you're deciding to eat in front of you and however you decide to eat it, whether you want to pass it off, take it to go, or sit down and enjoy a meal is up to you. But the table is big enough. If you pay attention to your own plate, Shirley Chris Holmes said, if there's no chairs at the table, then bring a folding chair. Absolutely. The table's big enough. But really, I feel like the problem isn't so much the table, it's the attitude you have when you're eating. Thank you guys so much for joining. This was a really fun open format discussion where we really talk and bounce ideas off of each other. I think it was a really cool behind the scenes look at our process. We definitely talked a lot more um, and had a lot of interactions here. I love that. If you guys want to join in, we welcome you. Everyone is welcome here. We love intellectuals. We love creatives. We love people with just an open mind. You know, come and join Thursday nights. It's a lot of fun. There's plenty of room at our table for you. Not just Thursdays, but any night. There's many of us to reach out to if you feel like you'd like to chat. If there's something that resonated with you or you have questions, please feel free to reach out. You can get me on the website or you can find me live each day. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in and joining us for the Smoke Show podcast. Super grateful for another episode and for each one of you. Not only the current listeners, but the people who come in on stream, who bring their ideas, their stories, their insight, the people who check in and encourage each other between episodes, and for my moderator team, who keeps us a safe space when we're recording and keeps the show running long after the cameras are off. It's my hope that you guys can take a little something from this, reach out, interact, and build better connections with yourselves and each other. You guys are the realist and the reason that I'm doing this. And I assure you that I am learning far more from you than you are from me. So your knowledge and your presence is invaluable. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you have hit the favorites. Save us so that you can come back and revisit or come and see and check out future episodes. If you'd like to join us live on stream, join us on YouTube or on my other streaming platforms each week. You can find the details at smokylive.com, S-M-O-K-E-Y-L-I-V-E.com. 
find me there and you can ask me direct questions. You can find our Instagram updates on the latest contests, the news, and upcoming episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next week. 